guys and welcome back to yet another episode of When I Was 13. For this episode, we have our first international guest, Mo Sibyl. Mo grew up in Nigeria and is now a professor of pharmacy in the US with a PhD in health economics. Given the current pandemic situation, I wanted to know more about health economics, so I got in touch with Mo. Oh, by the way, like me, Mo also has her own podcast called the More Sybil Podcast, which started in 2018. Her podcast talks about the cultures of Blacks and Asians. So let's hop on into a time machine to get to know more about Mo's podcast and how her life was when she was 13. And thank you for being on my show when I was 13. So let's begin with a quick introduction of yourself in terms of what you do currently and what you like to do when you have some free time to yourself. My name is Matalani Abusaya and I go by Mo Otalani. And mm-hmm. I describe myself as a Nigerian born, US educated, Korean speaking, wandering intellectual. My day job is as an assistant professor of pharmacy in a university here in Oklahoma, US, where I teach professional and graduate students, and also conduct research on cancer and lupus. Wow. At night, I work on my podcast show, The Marcelo yeah. Podcast. Yeah. During my free time, I travel, bullet journal, teach and study Korean. I blog, I watch Korean dramas, ride mm-hmm. my bike, and do my podcast. Wow, your life is already together. It's amazing. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it sounds good on paper. <laughs> so let's hop on into a time machine and go back to the time when you were 13. So do you remember what year it was? Of course I do. 1999. It was the year before the big Y2K. So uh, which town or city were you in when you were 13? So I grew up in Nigeria. I shuttled between Lagos and Oyo. And I'll explain mm-hmm. why later on. Lagos is the metro hub and it used to be the capital city for Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I schooled in Oyo town in Oyo state. Okay. So could you tell me more about this place? Because uh, most of my guests are from India and they spend mm-hmm. their childhood in India. But you're my first international guest. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So tell me more about how your childhood was uh, then. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very honored to be the first international one. I like, <laughs> I like being called international. Well, looking back, it all feels romantic now. But I think all in all, it was an idyllic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, life was simpler back then. We just didn't know. So Lagos used to be like a colonial um, city. And mm-hmm. it used to be the like, kind of like the central hub for politics before um, they moved to another um, city called Ab- um, Abuja. But okay. then, you know, life was just, you know, as kids. You didn't know anything, you know, you just, you relied on your parents to, like, sustain you. You relied on your friends to, like, provide you entertainment. So that was Lagos. Um, I grew up in the western side of Lagos, and it was really full of, you know, poor people, not so rich people and very rich people. There wasn't, like, a clear division of who had money. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was where I, um, what we called home. Now, Oyo was where I schooled, and that's, like, um, four hours away from Lagos, because I went to boarding house. And as of 1999, I was in um, Boarding House then. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the federal government, I went to federal government girls college, or you're called federal. And it started on a hill called Owini Hills. I remember the sky was always so large at night, like almost like you could touch the skies, which was so oh. different from my life in Lagos. You know, the grasses were always green. Till date, every oh. time it rains, I still get, get very nostalgic from the petrichor. That's like <laughs> the smell that comes from the first rain. 
you know so that was life for me lagos oil i have spent um during the holidays i went back to lagos but most uh-huh. of the time i was in my house okay i mean a lot has changed now because now it's just buildings and you can't really oh, see green grass anymore no you don't you only <laughs> yeah. see it on youtube <laughs> <laughs> i've been in the same school for over 15 years now no not 15 sorry uh, around 12 years and the thought that if i have if my like parents get somewhere have to go somewhere else because of their job and have to leave my friend back and you know just start a new life really scares me cuz change is scary so like i don't really want to change my school right now but when you were in school were you there throughout uh, till like 12 or did you change in the in between no no i didn't change in between and i i used to beg my mom please take me away from this school cuz boarding house was really tough when oh, i started i would cry every time i went back home out there mom it's like prison but she she <laughs> didn't budge um but you know what happened am i right when i turned um, I, when i was in um when i was 13 I was actually moved to a new class which is um JSS3 or what you guys call 11th standard or 11th class in India oh, and okay. it was the best time to be a junior because it meant that you were now the seniors to the juniors so you milked that for all it was worth so all of the hard work that I had put in as a junior huh. now I was repaying it I kind of felt like wow. you know invincible so yeah <laughs> and it also meant that it was going to be the last year you're going to trade your pinna for it because we had um a separate uniform for the junior students and a separate uniform for the senior students so in mm. the, in the junior class you wear pinafores which wasn't really cool cuz it was like a bib and a skirt but then mm. if you enter the senior class you start wearing skirt which is kind of cool so yes mm. um gsp was a was a beautiful time to be a, a, a junior cuz you felt very invincible yeah that's nice what yeah. better way to be like you know i've really you know worked hard and now like i've become so much better and you know nobody exactly. can stop me now that feeling exactly. is amazing exactly <laughs> So obviously as you mentioned earlier you have your own podcast and yes. can you tell me more about your podcast and what it is about Sure uh, my podcast show which launched in 2018 two years ago is called mm-hmm. The More Stable Podcast mm-hmm. and it's a weekly podcast for I describe it as a weekly podcast for blacks and Asians and those who love them which is like basically everybody like who doesn't like black or Asians right <laughs> and uh, as a podcast host I believe in sharing stories like mm-hmm. you do to connect humanity and yeah. i um, i stand that against the backdrop of cultural curiosity mm. and my unique perspective as a host is derived from my experience growing up to, in nigeria to now living in the us learning mm. and speaking korean and also mm. enriched by the many adventures my travels have brought on i try to explore culture against um, like important issues like acculturation preserving cultural values mental health issues mm. processes i really want to make the world a, a better and smaller place yeah wow So what made you start your podcast because it's a very broad platform that you have like Asians and blacks all are going to talk. So yeah. uh, what made you start like what inspired you? Wow, well, you know how you go, you do something and you're like when people ask you this question you have to start thinking back and when you piece the story together you begin to sound really smart but i must say that it really didn't come together at once. I just mm. basically i found out that there was always a passion in me. So I grew up listening to radio. We didn't have Netflix growing up. And radio saved my life in many ways I could count. I had a transistor radio which was on my most prized possession. And I would stay up at night under the covers listening to the shows and people would call in and request songs. Then first student who was a popular or probably is still a popular DJ in Nigeria was one of my favorite radio personalities growing up. And um 
Yeah, so radio was just that that one thing that started because mm-hmm. I like to imagine what people sounded like, and I felt mm-hmm. like with radio you could be yourself. Nobody could like judge you. You could just yeah. your words were like you know very powerful. So yeah. radio gave way to podcast because you know mm-hmm. we're getting all gotten all digital. And in talking to my friends, they tell me, "Oh, you have a gift for storytelling. You have a gift for listening. Have you mm-hmm. thought about making YouTube videos?" And I'm like, "No, I hate videos. I think yeah. they suck your soul away." And I was like, oh, podcast, sure. And I've been listening to podcasts way more than I, um, way, way before I started podcasting. So I've been listening to podcasts for more than seven years until I, you know, launched my podcast, you know, quite recently. So yes, it was, was about going back to my first love. That was radio. That's really great because as like, even you started your podcast in 2018 and even I like started around that time. So we can relate about that okay. and you have achieved so much through your podcast which is oh, amazing thank you. thank you and i feel the same one about you you're so thank inspiring you. <laughs> thank you so um uh, while you were giving your introduction you told us that you learn korea you can all i think you can also speak korea you can write korean and you also do your podcast and you're also manage your day job as a professor of pharmacy so how do you bring all these big tasks into 24 hours because from most probably i will just you know after eight hours of, uh, being at school and then coming yeah. back i'm just down i don't want to do anything else so how do you manage to do so much actually that's a very good question <laughs> i don't know the answer yet and i would like to you it's still an ongoing struggle but mm-hmm. i love what i do you yeah. know having that dichotomy or categorization it helps mm-hmm. me create a balanced outlet to be enriched and fulfilled by one when the other one gets a little bit stressful. So my day job sometimes can be very stressful. Then I use my podcast as a way to like give back to myself because uh, I love, I do love doing it. But yeah. I feel like if you really love something, you make time for it. And I also draw inspirations from everything I'm involved in. So as, mm-hmm. as a scientist, you know, working with rare diseases and trying to help patients, you know, um, live better lives. I learn how mm-hmm. to do great interviews, or how to like talk to my patients and really hear them out. Because of my podcast, you know, and I explore the health concerns and all that. I'm so I'm slowly finding a way to merge those passions that I have. But I, I think I will do the separation of the church and state thing for a while because you never mm-hmm. ever want the mistress to meet the wife, right? So <laughs> I just I think for now I'm okay with just having many outlets until I can find a way to like collapse some or merge some. But I, I think it's uh-huh. fantastic. I just have to make sure my sleep doesn't get doesn't suffer too much because that's what happens when you know, I get in hyper creative mode. <laughs> so you know Korean and Korea has become like a big thing now because of K-pop and their food is also really great. It's like become a big deal now about like you know Korea this, Korea that. So was did that like make you want to learn Korean or was it something else? Oh, no, no, not a K-pop. I, I always have to always say that, like, because number one, I'm too old for K-pop. Um, <laughs> I think it, it happened, in, in, it's a very long story, but I'll try to keep it yeah. short. But I'll say that it was very weird at first, because how did I, I felt a great discomfort trying to explain to people why I looked a certain way, but I loved a different country. But one of the mm. things that helped me, and this is maybe helping, this could help anybody listening, trying to explore a different culture, it was the love and the warmth that I received from my Korean friends. And they embraced me as their own and they taught me many things about the culture. And for me, um, when I started learning more about the Korean culture, because the culture bit came first before I dabbled into the language. Because I saw mm-hmm. a lot of shared cultural values that Africans and Asians had in common. Like, you know, we had familiar piety, we value education, we celebrate a lot mm-hmm. around food, and we have this mm-hmm. respect for elders. And, you know, mm-hmm. so 
I had a Korean ramen. That was actually the genesis of this. Oh, okay. And every day she would, she would eat rice. And I was like, how come you guys eat rice every day? And you stay this skinny. I need the recipe. And she goes, oh, apparently they flipped the pyramid upside down. They ate rice as a side dish. Whereas, you know, Africans, we ate rice as a main dish. And, you know, yeah. so, yeah, I am in all of the country, just how they really developed a lot. And I'm not going to go into the economics of it. But the language mm -hmm. was something that came naturally for me. I learned how to write the language in an hour when I started studying it. Wow. And right now I teach it in beginner's class and I'm still studying as well to become more wow. advanced. Yes, it's, it's a perfect opportunity to be able to express myself in a different mm -hmm. language. There's a childlike ability that comes with that. Like you see the world in a different place, you know, mm -hmm. in a different way rather, sorry. Yeah. It's a completely different script and and you learned it in an art. So, I mean, you're a genius. Oh, no, <laughs> no, it's, it's a completely a different script. No, no, no. <laughs> As a matter of fact, King Sejong, who just, because the Korean language is the only language in the world that we know when it started. A lot of languages, you can never know the year oh, okay. it was formed. Yeah, King Sejon actually made it in 14, I think, and I'm, I'm going to make 14 touch something. And he said, a stupid person, a, a wise person can finish, can learn it before the end of the day, and a stupid person by the next day. He made it very simple. Wow. And it's probably one of the easiest languages you can, as far as the script, you can know the script in an hour. Now, now to put words together, and, you know, even though I could say the script in the first hour, mm -hmm. I didn't know what the words meant. But, you know, that really opened up my brain. Like, if I can master Korean, then I can really do much anything in my life. So... So uh, now I, when I was going through, like doing some research about you, I got to know that you have a PhD in health economics yes. and something I want to like, you know, try in my life or something like, you know, pursue is economics and like behavioral economics and, you know, like understand that. So yeah. I have not personally heard about health economics. So what is it? And, you know, with this current pandemic situation, how can it help? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, Arashi, I think you should pursue it, you know, wholeheartedly. And I wish you the very best. <laughs> now, um, health economics, it's just a, it provides information to decision makers like, you know, politi politicians, pharmacies, doctors, healthcare providers for them to use, you know, um, for the efficient use of available resources. You know that in economics, one of the basic rules is that there's always going to be scarcity. So how do we, you know, um, distribute this in such a way that those dynamics can benefit from it? So health economics is just a branch of, you know, economics, but just focused on scarce resources, resources that are health resources. And we do that to maximize health benefits. So um, one of the things we also do is economic evaluation, which is mm -hmm. trying to compare, you know, the cost and consequences of different interventions. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, cost-benefit analysis. If I were to give you this drug, what's the benefit it's going to, you know, um, give you versus if I were to give you this other drug? And benefit can mean, you know, having to reduce your side effects or, you know, cost. The cost, mm -hmm. how much more extra are you willing to pay? to reduce your side effects or to get this, you know, maximum benefit from it. And then to the second part of your question about, you know, COVID, there's so many, many ways because health economics is such a large and broad mm -hmm. field. So it spans from, and I'll try to print this, you know, picture in a very chronological matter, manner, drug development. So as the drug mm -hmm. is being developed, so let's think about yeah. a COVID vaccine right now, right? And mm -hmm. so I'll use that as an example. We want to see that is it safe in human beings? Does it really help? You know, um, does it really reduce the symptoms? Whatever our endpoint is, if endpoint is reducing exacerbation from COVID virus, like breathing and all of that, better is it? Are we going to be able to meet you know goals and all that? And then the safety as well. Is it safe to use? Is, we don't want a drug that it might cure COVID, but then it might cause some other you know 
permanent damage to kidneys or whatever the side yeah. effects might be. We also want to see if is it efficacious? Does it work like it's supposed to do? Is it effective when we compare it to like you know current standards? Then when you also look at post-market surveillance, now that the vaccine is in the market, how are people using it in the real world? Because in clinical trials where a lot of drug development happens, it's a perfect system because everyone is 100% adherent. You know, you're being monitored, you're being given the perfect healthcare. But if you're to go into the real world, are you going to still be adherent? And drugs don't work in people that don't take them. So we want to yeah. see how the drug is doing. A lot of drugs have been released in the market, and we found out that 10 years down the line, it came up with side effects that we, didn't, we couldn't catch, catch in the clinical trials because long-term effects oh. cannot be used out yeah. in clinical trials. We also look at quality of life. Do quality of life, do we have quality of life studies where you can look at PROs, patient reported outcomes. We can look at adherence. You can look at patient providers. There's so many things you can do with health economics. It's so broad and there's so much space for anyone that is interested in being a part of, you know, this wonderful field. I mean, you guys are practically, like, technically predicting the future for health and, you know, how we're going to do in the near future after all exactly. this, you know, hopefully settles down. Exactly. Let's head back into a time machine because okay. I want to know more about your life uh, when okay. you were 13 because okay. a lot has changed now. So, mm -hmm. as both of us know, Netflix wasn't there then, and you also mentioned that you would listen to the radio as a source of entertainment. Other things that people have stopped, a lot of people have, you know, kind of pushed away is reading books, and yeah. which is kind of sad. So, uh, when you were 13, what books were you interested in? Oh, well, I read it all. You know, um, I read Enid Blyton's, I read um, Arrow Stein's, Goosebumps, Heart Songs. Mm -hmm. Hat songs were like the Milson Bones for the Christian version. I read mm -hmm. James Hadley Chase, Don't Tell My Mom Dad, because they had these raunchy pictures on the, on, on the cover page, but the stories were really, really good. I yeah. loved a lot of detective novels growing up, Street Valley, High, mm -hmm. I loved Pace Setters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read a lot of books. I read voraciously, like my life depended on it. So mm -hmm. uh, music has also changed from then and now. And like right now, any music, I, nothing's coming in my mind right now, but what kind of songs would you listen to then? Like maybe Madonna or something or Britney Spears? I don't know. Sure. I, wasn't a, I wasn't a Britney Spears. I wasn't a Britney okay. fan. Right now. Yeah. I loved Westlife. Uh -huh. I loved NSYNC. I loved Shania Twain. I loved country uh -huh. music. It was also when I discovered country music. So Don Williams, Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton. And also um, Celine Dion. Yeah, those are the songs I listen to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of them, yeah, I still listen to songs by Celine Dion, Shania oh, Twain. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes. some things don't change, maybe. That which is really, no, like Shania, yeah. like Shania is always going to be Shania. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're such an amazing person. You learned a completely new language. You have your own podcast and you have a PhD in health economics. So who inspired you or who was your idol when you were 13? You know, who uh, like, you know, made you want to work hard to get your goals? I can't think of a particular person because I really mm -hmm. didn't have that particular person. But I looked at the environment around me and it was such a strong, powerful force because there was so much. I grew up, um, weren't quite rich or poor, we're just, I think, some, somewhere in the middle. But mm -hmm. my parents had like housing security, so we didn't live in the best of housing conditions. Mm -hmm. And the kids I grew up with were, you know, a lot of them didn't turn out quite, you know, okay, in the sense of the word, okay. So I was quite determined not to be you know, end up being like that. And yeah. I think going to boarding house really helped me a lot because in boarding house, I could see a lot of kids that had things that I wanted, you know, like, or they could travel all, all over the world when they were younger, or their parents mm -hmm. were super, super rich. And I could also learn about different people's culture because in my school, 
we had kids from all over the country like coming to boarding house then and so um yeah and then the books also books really helped me because i always said then my parents didn't have money to like send me abroad to go on vacation with a book in my hand i could travel you know thousands and thousands of miles away so books i think really saved my life as well because i could just you could give me a book and i would just i read a lot of i read a lot of books and i read so much of my body waiting books because that was just my saving grace and yeah. i think that also helped me and i had such a curious um, nature i asked questions a lot sometimes i got into trouble because of the questions i would ask you know <laughs> but yeah those were the things that saved me growing up yeah, but that's and so, a good you know, family members as well like you know and yeah they were quite positive yeah they don't yeah. say oh you're smart you know that kind of thing once in a while yeah, yeah. So when you were 13, did you ever think that, you know, I would have a podcast or something related to radio or I would, you know, learn this new language, the Korean language, or I would, you know, be part of PhD in health economics? Was that in your mind when you were 13? Absolutely no. Right now, <laughs> it all seems like I have it all together, but I didn't. I was one of probably one of the most confused kids I ever grew up. Because if mm-hmm. you were to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I wouldn't have an answer for you. And I really hate that question. Mm-hmm. And I don't ask kids that question. Rather, I ask them what kind of problems do you like to solve. And I think yeah. it helps them. For yeah. me, I was always a people person. I kind of knew I might end up, you know, in capacity of working with people. But I didn't know I was going to be a pharmacist. I didn't know I was going to get a PhD. I didn't know I was going to have a podcast, but things that I, that I did then that I, that I got excited about, going back right now and trying to piece the pieces, put the pieces together, it all makes sense that I'm doing what I'm doing now. If you knew someone that grew up with me and they heard what I'm doing, I would, oh yeah, I can see why, but I didn't know then. And so this is mm. like an advice to those that are listening that are younger, is whatever your hands find to do, keep doing them, because you never know where your passion, your life's calling can be from what yeah. you think, you know you're doing that it doesn't make sense right now just you know yeah. dedicate your time to it until you're, you find out okay i can't do it anymore then you can stop but try to limit your nose that's what i'm trying to say mm. when you're younger you know try as many things as possible because you never know where you might end up yeah that's great advice so we've reached towards the end of the podcast and usually my last question is what advice do you have for me and all the others listening to the show but already you've given some great advice. <laughs> but if you want, <laughs> but if you want, you can share more, like you know, to help oh, yeah. me and others. First, Arashi, I must say that what you're doing is amazing. Like at 13, having you. a podcast, and I'm not trying to like you know say anything down about your age. I think it's really, really, really amazing. Thank and you. I wish that every 13 year old can know that they have a voice because it doesn't have to be a podcast like you. But whatever they're doing, they have a voice. So always remember yeah. that. And um, I also want to say that don't be afraid to fail. You know, mm-hmm. if you're 13 or 30, whatever age you are listening to this, don't be afraid to fail. Like you're only whatever that age wants. And nobody has like, we didn't like, we've, we haven't lived life, you know, living reincarnation, but the life you're living right now is only life you know. So whatever yeah. failures you encounter, to think of it like part of the process. What else again? There's always going to be a disadvantage or an advantage to growing up in whatever decade we're born in. But I hope that you utilize the, you utilize the advantage more than you focus on the disadvantage. Try to develop yourself to the extent that your internal locus of control is more than the external one. Like growing up, a lot of what my peers thought about me meant a lot to me, which, you know, was one of the dangerous things that I experienced because I suffered from a lot of um, self-esteem and body image issues because I would compare myself a lot with my friends. Um, good friends are, are, are nice to have, but... You know, don't let peer pressure, you know, force you to be think about yourself in a different way. Okay. And I can imagine, like, with the advent of social media, which is a blessing and a curse, you know, with Instagrams and um, TikToks and whatnot, don't blend in too much. You know, mm-hmm. read books that can change your mind. Learn a new yeah. language. 
He's very open-minded, you know. Mm. When I was younger, the only thing that could help me was an encyclopedia because there was no Google, there was nothing. You know, we mm. had no internet. You know, yeah. so right now you have so much at your disposal. Use it. Keep working like Johnny Walker. This is not a paid endorsement, by the way. Stay off yeah. drugs and alcohol, just, you know, um, and none of that. And finally, finally, you would need these things to succeed. Curiosity, mm. kindness, stamina, and a willingness to look stupid. And mm. that willingness to look stupid never goes away. Every yeah. day, I things i just learned how to ride a bike last month actually this month and i'm 33 so i'm um, like you know, I, I laughed at myself a lot i fell down i i was just i felt very foolish but hey you know it's so tough growing up and i wish like i said i'm so so proud of you and Thank i don't you. know you but keep these conversations going i Thank hope you, you keep so this podcast for as long as you can and um yeah this is amazing you're gonna look back Thank and you're gonna you. be like yeah, yeah, and I like the confidence and just the way you approach people and who you've had on your platform. And I've listened to a lot, couple, couple of your podcasts, you know, with the NRI woman, with Naga, thank with Padma, the CEOs, the podcasters, the questions oh, are thanks. engaging. And I noticed that you had 13 questions still, so, you know, that really helped. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I never thought of that. Oh, yeah, you had 13 <laughs> questions. You said 13 questions, and I was like, oh, wow, she's, she's on a hood. <laughs> So thank you so much for being and taking your time out to be here. I had an amazing time to talk to you and you've been a true inspiration to, you know, continue this, my podcast. And, you know, it was just amazing to talk to you. Same here, Arishi. And I feel very honored to be the first international person in your show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And hey, is there anything I can do to help you? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of yet another episode of When I Was 13. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did putting it together. For me, at 13, meeting people and getting to know their world when they were 13 opens up a world that I will possibly never get to know otherwise. Do not forget to subscribe to this podcast on your Android or iPhone. And yes, I am on Instagram and you can follow me on when underscore I underscore was 13. Catch you soon with yet another interesting conversation on when I was 13.